Welcome to A Wild New Work, Ecological Guidance for Your Career. This podcast is about how to take wise, soul-centered action in your work life, and it's all based on the wisdom of nature. I'm your host, Megan Leatherman. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being with me today. Um, I'm excited to share this episode with you. This has been one that I've uh, been mulling over for a few weeks now, like I do with every episode, but this feels... um, I don't know, just extra important, I think. Uh, I don't know if it's just that it's my work and that it's relevant to me, but um, I'm hoping that by sharing some of what's come up in my life and what I've been noticing about this time of year, that it is helpful and supportive to you as well. Today I'm going to be talking about the theme of this early autumn period, which is about assessing our harvest, reorganizing, um, kind of discerning what is ready to be let go of, what needs to be kept, and really preparing for the transition to winter, right? The fall and the spring are both these bridge seasons that help us transition into um, the more sort of, I don't know, established or um, prominent seasons of summer and winter. Um, And so in the fall and in the spring, we learn how to work with change and transition and um, how to prepare ourselves for what's to come. And that is, I think, relevant for all of us in every area of our life, but especially in relation to our work and our careers. So today I'm going to be talking a lot about work-life integration, um, but also a, a core piece of that, which I think often gets overlooked, which is how draining it can be to take on responsibility for everyone else in our lives or the state of our organization or the state of our business. Um, And now is really a perfect time to really realign with our integrity and strengthen our integrity and look very closely at what we are responsible for and what we are not responsible for so that we can be the most Um, healthy, well, generous, clear versions of ourselves and thus be contributing to our communities and our work and our clients in a way that is not out of, you know, uh, neediness or desperation or an attempt to please everyone, but is really out of a place of self-awareness and integrity, which is so much healthier, I think, than some of the other dynamics that many of us get into. So um, I think it will be a real treat and it may feel challenging at times because this is all some pretty deep work, but um, I know that we're each capable of that. Um, I have two quick announcements before I dive in. The first is that many of you may know already that I've taken a break from one-on-one career coaching since March. Um, and I have been thinking about for a while now getting back into doing one-on-one work, but there was something that was just not fitting together until recently. Um, and I think looking back, I see that I needed to stop that in order to make room for a wild new school, which is the seasonal courses that we've been running, which is well on its way. Now we're in the autumn course, um, and it's going great. And I, I see that growing. So I know I needed to make room for that. Um, but I'm feeling drawn to working with people one-on-one again, um, and in a more, I think, authentic way that honors my integrity and, and ensures that I'm able to do that work from a place of integrity and not out of, um, you know, over-attachment or neediness. So one of the main changes that I made was and it may seem sort of cosmetic or shallow, but it's actually been really important to me. Um, I changed the name and the model of the program from career coaching to career mentorship. And I wonder, you know, how each of you feels about your job title or what you tell people you do. Um, I have noticed for years that I just never liked calling myself a career coach. Um, for me, the word coach just implies this sort of raw, raw, like athletic, (laughs) um, person who's just, I don't know, maybe like happier or just more amped on life than, than I feel. I feel, um, like I have, I just have a different energy and the word mentor or mentorship just fits 
a lot better to me. To me, it feels like a more um, kind of grounded, soft, subtle approach, and that that fits for me. Um, so no shade on coaching. I, I still think it's really, really valuable, and we all get to decide what we call ourselves. Um, but for me, the missing piece was finding a way to identify this work in a way that felt aligned to me. And I, I think if you notice that you kind of cringe when you introduce yourself at networking events or, you know, update your job title on LinkedIn, um, I encourage you to just notice that and to ask yourself what it is about that title or orientation or that identity label that, that you don't like, or that doesn't fit for you and to, to change it so that it, it does fit for you and kind of reflects your authentic self. Um, so I think it matters what we what we identify um, as our work, and I know we don't always have control over that. But um, this this felt like an important change for me. So the program is still similar to what I was doing before. It's a um, instead of a kind of discrete period where you have to enroll and then begin the program. It's just a rolling three month container for folks who want to make meaningful change in their careers. Um, It's been most helpful for people who are kind of mid-career, have done a thing for a while, um, and they really, they know that something needs to change, but they're not sure what kind of change that will look like, whether it's, you know, getting a different job or, you know, vying for a promotion or starting their own thing on the side or their own main thing. Um, Generally, my clients have you know, done really well where they are, but they know that something needs to shift and they're just not sure what that is, but they're open to finding out. So um, the program is, of course, nature-based. And if you know that you would like some extra guidance in your career at this time, some extra mentorship and support, I would love to work with you or answer your questions if you have them. So you can visit the link in the show notes or just go to a wildnewwork.com slash mentorship. And um, if you feel drawn, you can just set up a free consultation on the phone and we can chat. Uh, The other announcement is just a reminder um, that there's a new Patreon page for this podcast, and I want to say thank you to Ginny, who is our most recent (laughs) Patreon supporter. Um, I started this page as a way to nurture the podcast, and um, I so appreciate everyone's support, whether it's, you know, telling a friend about the work or contributing financially on Patreon um, or just enjoying it and subscribing on wherever you listen to, to podcasts. Um, but the financial support is, of course, meaningful as well. And uh, every month I'll be sending a special bonus to members on there. And on November 1st, um, I'll be sharing my guide to taking career-focused nature walks. This is something that I do personally and have done a couple of times with folks over the summer. Um, and I know I'm sure if you're listening to this, you know the power of getting outdoors, but you may not know how to design an outdoor practice that gives you, you know, that good feeling, but also career insights as well. And I would love to share that with you. So that will come out to members on November 1st. And then um, anyone who becomes a member this month, there is a autumnal resource guide up for you, which includes a bunch of my favorite um, books for this season, podcasts I'm listening to, um, some activities, like specific things that will nurture you in the autumn. So that's there. And you can search A Wild New Work on Patreon or visit the link in the show notes to check that out. Um, and thanks for for looking into that if you feel drawn. All right. Well, with those announcements, why don't we settle into our opening invocation? So wherever you are, let's just take a deep breath together. See if you can get a little heavier in your body. Send some of the energy in your head down into your lower half of your body, into your pelvis, your hips, your lower belly. May this episode and each of us that are listening to it be blessed and emboldened to do the work we're meant to do on this planet. May our work honor our ancestors, known and unknown, and may it be in harmony with all creatures we share this earth with. I express gratitude for all of the technologies and gifts that have made this possible, and I'm grateful to the Chinook people, who are the original stewards of the land that I'm on. Well, I'll just take a minute to sort of um, 
orient ourselves to where we are at the time of recording. So we're still here in early autumn. Uh, the sun moved into the sign of Libra on September 23rd, which was the official start of this season. Um, we are still in Libra season, which I'll talk more about in a minute. And, you know, this isn't an astrology podcast, and you don't even have to care about or know anything about astrology. I use it, uh, we use it in a wild new school extensively, and I use it in this podcast and in this work because I think it just gives extra color and insight into the invitations of this time of year. And it helps me understand what some of our ancestors saw as the work and uh, energy of this time of year. So it's just extra knowledge and insight, and you can take what resonates and dump the rest. Um, But we will be in Libra season until later this month when the sun transitions into the sign of Scorpio. Um, Libra is an air sign. It uh, relates to our relationships, our relationship to ourselves, to others, to our planet, to our work. Um, And there's a lot here that I'm excited to talk about today. Um, I don't know about you. I'm loving October in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I hope wherever you are, you're cherishing this um, lovely early autumn period when the pumpkins are ripe, the apples are ripe. There's still a lot of greenery. Um, It feels just so rich and colorful. And um, yeah, I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. So let's talk a little bit about Libra and what it shows us about the invitation of this time of year. Libra, I think, sort of gets pegged as this sign that's all about harmony and balance and beauty. And like, it's just about, you know, living a nice life, (laughs) which may be true. But if we take, if we kind of peel back the layers and look at what harmony and balance really requires, then we see that what it requires is integrity for all parties in that particular relationship. Um, You can't have true harmony or balance when one party or the other is not able to be themselves, is not able to uh, meet their needs, is not able to even communicate their needs, right? If you were looking at like a symphony or an orchestra I don't actually know the difference. (laughs) Um, And there was, you know, a a piece of music that was meant to invite all of the instruments into it, but the horn section was the only one that was able to be heard. That wouldn't be a true harmonious playing of the music, would it, right? We have to look at, you know, what what is our relationship to this person or to this thing like, and am I able to be in my full integrity here. Um, And we know we've struck harmony when the parts of our lives or the parts of ourselves feed and nurture one another. Um, It may not always be clean. I don't think harmony is something that you just achieve and then is done. It's an ongoing uh, dance, I think. Um, But generally, in a harmonious system or a balanced system, the part, the components are able to be in their integrity and nurture one another. I think ecosystems are a great example of this. If you look at an ecosystem, it might look chaotic or like it's just made up of disparate parts. But when we zoom out, we know that when nature is left to its own devices, it knows how to balance itself. The life and death cycles of every organism in that ecosystem ensure that it's balanced and capable of holding space for all who live there, right? There's not, um, in a healthy ecosystem, there's not one organism that's completely dominating. There's no monocrops. There's tremendous diversity and uh, different kinds of organisms and color and different different ways that that those organisms meet their needs. Um, So it may look like chaos, but we know that that is true balance. When each plant or animal in that system is living out its purpose and adapting to meet its needs, the entire system thrives. And this is possible for us 
too, I think, as a collective, but individually as well, except that we're talking about inner ecosystems and how, um, you know, what is the state of our inner life, our beliefs, our thoughts, the way we talk to ourselves, um, but also about our smaller individual lives. You know, how do we, what is the health and the relationship like between our work and our family and our community? And one model that I have found helpful is something called work-life integration, which you may have heard about before. And it's just sort of a different take on this concept of work-life balance. Um, and actually, my first big presentation, which sort of launched my business, was on work-life integration at a local HR association in like October 2014, I think. Um, shout out to Sarah Bayer there who gave me my first oppor- first big opportunity like this. Um, and back then it was sort of a, a, an innovative or kind of revolutionary idea. I think it's much more common now. Um, and you get to decide like work-life balance, work-life integration, or none of it. You choose what phrase or model works for you. But I want to share a little bit about this idea because I think it's it helps us understand how to design a healthy life ecosystem. So in the model of work-life integration, there are four main areas of life, which were identified by Stuart Friedman. Um, They are work, family, community, and self. So all of those, I think, are self-explanatory, but these are sort of how he divides or thinks about the different components of our lives. And when we... uh, not achieve, but when we approach or uh, embrace work-life integration, it means that there is a reciprocal strengthening relationship between those four major areas of our lives, where we know that tending to one of them inevitably strengthens the others. And um, the dynamic is one where there is true harmony because there's integrity and we can sort of relax into and be present with where we are, whether it's at work or with our community or, you know, taking care of ourselves. So our work-life integration mix, the way that those look and how much energy they get from us changes depending on our life stage, our needs, you know, who we're in relationship with, the time of year even. So it's a dynamic process. There's never one like formula you're meant to arrive at or one certain uh, kind of balance you're supposed to strike. It's individualized and it changes in our own lives. And I like this in large part because it reminds us that work is not a separate part from our lives. It's an absolutely integral part of our lives. For some of us, it plays a larger role. For some of us, it's a smaller role, Um, but they're not separate. And I love this quote from David White in his book, The Three Marriages. He wrote, In the deeper, unspoken realms of the human psyche, work and life are not separate things and therefore cannot be balanced against each other except to create further trouble. So work-life integration can look many different ways, um, but at its core, there's this sense that they are they are inextricably linked. We can't separate them and put them in competition with one another. So for you, work-life integration might look like doing work that is really flexible so that you can maybe support yourself as you recover from an illness or support loved ones who need care. It could mean uh, deepening your sense of community in order to bolster your own well-being, but also to support your career or your business. It might mean taking better care of your body or spending more time with your family so that you are more energized in your work. The point here is simply to see the big picture and find ways where tension, where there's conflict between these areas of your life, where that can become harmony, where you're clear about your priorities and you're engaging with other realms of your life in a way that nurtures the entire ecosystem. Um, The biggest lesson for me through this model has been realizing how much my work benefits from my own self-care. I, as an introvert and a very sensitive person, I require a lot of quiet time and care in order to be able to function at my best in those other areas of my life. Um, So I have learned to accept that you know, my acupuncture appointment or that massage I scheduled is not a frivolous departure from productivity. It's not just useless or um, 
diminishing my work. It's absolutely nurturing the work that I do. And likewise, my work nurtures my creativity and provides financial support that allows me to spend more quality time with my family. And this doesn't mean that there's not still tension, right? Harmony is an ongoing journey. Some days are really hard and it feels like none of the areas in my life are getting what they need. And I'm just in survival mode. And it's like, you know, there is no balance or integration. Um, But if I zoom out, I can see how the various parts of my life nurture one another. And I can see that where there's tension is just an invitation for me to look more closely at, at what can be tweaked in order to have more harmony and reciprocal relationship. So I would encourage you to notice where there's tension or opportunity for greater harmony in your life. You know, if you saw your life in these quadrants of work, family, community, and self, is there one that's calling out for more of your attention this time of year? Or which ones seem to clash and how do the four areas actually nurture one another? How could they nurture one another? And let's say, you know, we know that our energy each day is finite, and let's say it adds up to 100%. I would encourage you to consider on any given day how much energy is each quadrant getting, right? Is work getting 50% of your energy and your family is getting the other 50%? That doesn't leave anything for you or for you to engage in your community life? Or is it a more diverse mix? Again, it doesn't have to be evenly split. This is a dance, not a formula or anything that you need to get right. I just encourage you to pay attention and spend a little bit of time noticing where your energy is going. And again, this may not feel good. I think the conception is that harmony is this really like light, fluffy, thing that just feels good all the time. Um, But often it doesn't. It often requires hard choices and sacrifice and uh, discomfort. And so notice what your mix is like right now and just start with total acceptance for wherever you are. You know, if you know that your family life is taking more of your energy than you might like right now, um, see what it feels like to just completely accept that that's how things are right now. Um, Not that they will be that way forever, that they need to stay that way, but oftentimes we create added tension by resisting the way things actually are. Um, So acceptance is always a wonderful place to begin. It helps us see clearly and make choices um, from that clear place. So if you want to learn more about work-life integration, it's not something that I've talked about recently, but I did give a presentation at Portland State University a couple of years ago on this topic, and I'm just sharing the very the rough <laughs> slides and my detailed outline at in the link in the show notes, so you can, you're welcome to check that out if you want to learn more about this model. So part of this model and part of a healthy ecosystem is being in right relationship with ourselves and with our lives. Remember, an ecosystem does best when each component is living in integrity with itself. So after we notice what our ecosystem or our work-life integration looks like, and after we take a few deep breaths and accept that this is where we are and this is that particular mix for this day or this time in our lives, we can ask ourselves what our relationship to each component is and why it's that way. So what is your relationship to your family life? Does it feel like an obligation? Does it feel perfect and like you really want more of it? Does it feel like it's necessary in order to complete you? Like it has to fill some hole? Um, If the dynamic isn't working for you or isn't feeling like it's in integrity for you, it's worth taking some quiet time to look into why the dynamic exists and what your part is in it. And the same goes for work. What is your relationship to your career like? Do you hate it? (laughs) Neglect it? Do you love it? Are you overly attached? Are you ambivalent? You know, if your career were a person that you were in a relationship of some kind with, would there be a lot of conflict? Would you be deeply in love? Would you have clear lines of communication? Would you be disinterested or resentful? You know, what is the texture of that relationship. This autumn and every autumn, we're really invited to freshen up our relationships with the most important areas of our lives. 
um, which includes ourself, you know, and our careers. And we get to see if we can have even more integrity when interfacing with them. And one of the places where we often get out of integrity is in taking responsibility for what is not truly ours. And this is very common and it plays out all the time in the workplace. I think often we we still operate under this construct that who you are at work is very different than who you are in the rest of your life. And in some ways that may be true, but your subconscious operating systems, which were often learned in early childhood, those go with you wherever you are. And without being conscious of them, they get played out over and over again. So some of us take on too much responsibility and some of us don't take on enough responsibility for ourselves. And that I think depends on the adaptations and coping mechanisms we had to learn in childhood. Um, And so this is deep work, but I want to be able, I want to talk about it because I think it's important and just encourage you to see what you notice as I share ideas about this. And if it feels like, you know, that there's big work to do here, I encourage you to connect with, um, you know, a therapist or a professional who can really hold space for you as you dig into some of those childhood um, traumas or coping mechanisms, which we all have, even if we came from, you know, loving, kind homes with good caregivers, uh, trauma is just an inevitable part, inevitable part of growing up. So that's all I'll say about childhood coping mechanisms, I think, but um, they play out certainly in the workplace and in every area of our lives. And as adults, we have the opportunity now to look at them and to see them clearly and to see what is helping us and what is getting in our way. Um, One of the shadow sides or the uh, downsides of the sign of Libra and this sort of energy or this archetype is enmeshment, uh, which is the phenomenon where we sort of lose ourselves in relationship with something or another person. It's kind of this attitude or this um, orientation to have harmony at tremendous cost to ourselves and to the relationship where we sort of make our needs subservient or ignore them um, in order to avoid conflict or to make another person happy. Um, and we all, we're all capable of doing this. And um, we would be foolish not to realize that this comes up in the workplace all the time, especially in, I think, boss employee relationships um, and, or, you know, business person client relationships. So when we are enmeshed or taking on way too much responsibility, we often feel drained all the time, despite really working hard. Um, We might be, you know, putting in long hours at work and doing the work that we think is important, but we still feel like we're never getting ahead. And that could very well be because we're taking on too much of the worry or too much of the responsibility for the outcomes of our team or the organization. Um, It also looks like being very conflict avoidant, being afraid to state your needs or state a problem clearly uh, for fear of uh, activating other people and entering into conflict or increasing tension. It's I think it often leads to burnout and bitterness and resentment. Um, It also enables the other party or a harmful relationship dynamic to continue. So when we are in patterns of enmeshment, we can find ourselves again and again in relationships that feel uh, manipulative or abusive or codependent. Um, And so this is something to look very clearly at because it it's not good or healthy for us and it perpetuates these harmful relationship dynamics with other people or with our careers. So how do we sort of course correct here? And I think one thing that can be helpful is to just get really clear about what we're responsible for and what we're not responsible for. So I'll start with what we are responsible for. Um, And this is adult work, right? Again, we have to look at some of the ways we learn to cope and engage with others through childhood and then decide whether we want to continue those strategies and use them or not. So let's take a minute to clarify what we are responsible for, which is a lot, but it may not be what you think it is. 
Um, we are each responsible, one, for our beliefs, our perceptions, our attitudes, our biases, our sort of mental constructs. Um, even if those were heavily informed by our caregivers growing up or the social um, social life that we had growing up, we were all socialized in, in different ways. Um, but now as adults, it's our responsibility to look at that and to look at what we learned as kids about what it means to be successful or what it means to have a good career or what it means to um, be be an adult even. Um, we are responsible for looking at our beliefs about the world and about particular situations and ourselves. We are each also responsibility for responsible for our, our energy, our presence, the way that we spend our energy, the way we conserve our energy, or the way that we cultivate our energy. We are responsible for our own well-being. Um, no one can do that for us anymore unless we are in some way dependent on a caregiver. Um, but generally, most of us are responsible for stating what we need and giving ourselves what we need. We are each responsible, of course, for our behavior, our words, our physical actions, where we show up, when we show up, who we show up for, um, and of course, how we show up. And then for those of us who have dependents, like truly dependent people, such as small children or uh, dependent loved ones or those that you've agreed to enter into that kind of relationship with, um, we're, of course, responsible for their well-being and you know, care. But I think oftentimes we take on care for people who are more capable of caring for themselves than we're choosing to believe. And that's for each of us to look at. Um, and I, that's all I'll say about that for now. So in your career, what are you responsible for? You are responsible for your beliefs about what you do, your beliefs about the people you work with, about your worth, about what others contribute. And this is a tricky area. When something feels off at work, especially with other people, our egos will often say either it's all your fault or it's all their fault. But as adults, again, we have to take a more nuanced view here and start by looking at our perceptions and beliefs about a relationship or a situation. Um, in my experience working for myself, I've worked with a lot of collaborators and um, it's often really hard and I often want to quit <laughs> early. Um, but with experience, I'm learning that before I make any changes or bring something to someone else, I have to look very closely at where I'm activated and what the story is that I'm telling about the situation. And then I have to take full responsibility for my part in it before bringing it, if I bring it at all, to the other person's attention. And this is something that I think we just have to get better at with practice. I'm certainly still practicing it, but it's necessary in order to be in right relationship with others. And it requires quiet, reflective space in our lives, the, the space to see the activation, first of all, where I'm getting flared up or where I'm feeling annoyed or angry at this other person, but then the quiet and, and space to understand why that activation is happening and what my part in it is. Um, and so many of us are going so fast with so much on our plates that we miss that um, time or openness to to raise that awareness. And I encourage you to give yourself more time and space as much as you can so that you have the mental and emotional capacity to see clearly when you're feeling activated or frustrated with another person or a dynamic in your work life. You are of course responsible for your energy at work, the boundaries you put up, enforcing them, uh, whether or not you will take care of your body and your nervous system no one else can do this work for us. Uh, you are the only one, for better or worse, who can say that, you know, you need to leave work early, you need to come in later, you need to take time off, you need a lunch break, you need to limit your time on email, etc. It is only up to you. You're the adult, you are the driver in your life now. Um, oftentimes we look for permission from other people before we do these things that we know will take care of us. Um, and we just have, there's no other way. We just have to start doing it ourselves. Um, we are also each responsible for our behavior in the workplace. I think 
many times, and I do this too, we forget that our words are spells that sort of conjure up the lives that we are living now and into the future. So it's wise to be very discerning with how we describe our work, the way that we talk to others in the workplace or about others in the workplace. It's important that we are very discerning about how we choose to frame an issue, you know, or a problem or an opportunity. We are also responsible for what we ask of others at work, not necessarily for how they feel about it, but the way that we ask and the way that we engage with others. You know, are we creating systems or processes of burnout for other people? Are we emailing them constantly or chatting them constantly and contributing to this culture of uh, urgency or perpetual productivity? Um, So we have to take responsibility for our behavior and our part in that no matter what we do for work. And of course, even at work, you're still responsible for your children or dependent loved ones, which can be a heavy burden to bear. And in some ways, I think work might be a respite for you or for others who care for loved ones in a um, in a really meaningful or substantial way. And in other ways, it may feel like work is a necessary evil. You know, if you're doing work that you really despise or that's even harming your health and you're telling yourself that it's because you have to support others, I just want to lovingly invite you to ask yourself if that's really true. Is it true that you have to suffer indefinitely for their well-being? It could be, I don't know. But in our ecosystem model, often when an organism thrives, its offspring or those around it thrives as well. There's this sort of reciprocal or mutual flourishing. Um, And then when that organism dies a good death, its offspring are blessed as well. But we're not there yet, right? If you're listening to this, you're not um, crossing that threshold into death. You still have a life to live. And so you get to decide um, how you want to relate to this issue of supporting others, uh, whether it's financially or with your time and your care or all of the above. Um, So I just encourage you to look at that if it feels like there's tension or heaviness there. Um, So let's look at what you are not responsible for. (laughs) And this is also a long list. Um, Well, it's not a long list, but it's uh, full. You are not responsible for anyone else's beliefs. You might have very different beliefs from your boss, your coworkers, your clients, and that's okay. They may be activated by some of the things that you do as a result of your beliefs. They may be angry, disappointed, sad, and that is okay. That is not a problem, even though it often feels like a problem because we're social creatures and we want to often avoid conflict or avoid um, disappointing other people. Um, I partnered with someone a couple of years ago who believed that entrepreneurship just required a lot of hustle. Uh, She believed that you sort of should always be working and she lived that out. And at the time I was grappling with my own beliefs about this construct, but I knew enough to know that being available over email or the phone 24 seven just does not work for me. And so I put up strong boundaries and which I communicated to her. It wasn't a secret. Um, and then I had to enforce them, which was deeply uncomfortable. I wouldn't reply to her emails right away. If I wasn't available on email, I didn't answer her calls if they were outside of my working hours. And she did not like that. But I was clear with her about my needs and what I was willing or not willing to do. And it was not my problem that she didn't like that. It wasn't my responsibility. It would have been easy to take that on and say, you know, oh, I'm a bad partner. I'm a bad collaborator if I don't engage, you know, right away or in the way that she needs. Um, But that's not true. She needed to have her own reaction to that and figure out her, why she was so activated by that. That wasn't my role or my responsibility. And you can probably guess how that partnership ended, which was uh, like a dumpster fire. It wasn't pretty. Um, so we have to be vigilant in remembering that we we just can't control and can't take responsibility for how other people see the world. We can do our best to understand it and to communicate clearly. But ultimately, if someone doesn't like 
our boundaries or the way that we um, see a thing that that's just not our problem. We're also not responsible for anyone else's energy or their um, their well being, frankly, unless of course it's our those who are dependent on us. Um, I used to work with people who were completely overextended and exhausted all the time. And an entire team culture was built around these two people who really neglected to take care of themselves. And so they brought a lot of worry and stress and this like panic energy into the work environment. And for a time, I would try to encourage them, you know, to get more rest, to eat better, to not work as much. But then I realized, once they never did any of those things, that they were getting something out of this dynamic. And we all do this. Part of them loved being the martyr or the suffering, overwhelmed worker or manager. They were not choosing to take care of themselves despite full ability to do so. Um, And I had to let go of the need to tend to them, to fix it, to kind of make up for where they weren't able to cope because they were so overwhelmed. Um, And and I had to remember that they were adults and then put up my own defenses so that their overwhelm, their panic didn't cloud my own life and work. Um, And now this changes again with true dependence, but in the workplace, you have no dependence. You are not there to parent or reparent or mother anyone else. Everyone who works with you is presumably an adult who's capable of looking at their own stuff and capable of making choices that are good for them. And I just want to, for women and HR professionals who I, who I know most intimately through my own work, I want to really, really emphasize this. You are not a parent at work. That is an old fucked up model, really rooted in sexism, usually, that just needs to go. You can be a mentor, you can be a wise elder or a friend at work, but you are not responsible for your coworkers, your employees, or your clients' life choices and how they take care of themselves. And if this sounds harsh, I get it, but when we step in and try to save another person, it drains us over time, even though our ego often gets something out of it initially because we feel like a rescuer or a a hero or heroine, but ultimately it's draining our energy systems. And it also communicates to the other person that they can't help themselves. Um, And there are times, of course, when someone does need a lifeline or some extra support, but if you find yourself in the rescuer role often, I encourage you to really look at your part in that, why you are choosing to be there, to be in that dynamic and take responsibility for your role in it and the way that you may be inviting that dynamic into your life. Not that it's all yours, um, but there is some part that you're playing in that dynamic. Um, you are also not responsible for anyone else's behavior at work. Again, if you're a parent, this is true to it, but still only to a certain extent, right? I can create rules and um, structures and communicate with my two-year-old about what's appropriate and inappropriate. But ultimately, the older she gets, the less control I have over her behavior. And I have to look at my own beliefs about what it means to be a good parent, uh, what it means to have a quote unquote good kid. Um, and, and then I get to decide like what roles or rules or consequences are most important to me in order to be, you know, the best mother that I can to her. And then I have to just let go of the rest. You know, it's pretty awkward when you're in a playgroup or at the playground and your kid does something wildly inappropriate or, um, you know, it's just not, at their best that day. And we have to, um, take responsibility for that, but ultimately know that, uh, it's not all on us. There is a dynamic here. There's another person, a relationship that we're managing. Um, so especially in the workplace with adults, we are not responsible for the choices that other people make. We're also not responsible for the success of an entire system. This is one that comes up a lot, I think, for many of us, especially those of us who care about the world or the communities that we're part of. 
we are each responsible for our little corner of the world. I'm responsible for the state of my home, how I spend my money, the way that I relate to the earth, the way that I treat other people, etc. All of that is true. But to take on the burden of an entire system, that is something that we do out of oppression and oppressive beliefs that put the onus on each of us individually instead of putting the responsibility on those who truly hold power. Not that we never hold power, that we don't play a part in the system, but this comes up, I think, a lot in climate change and for those of us who are concerned about the state of the climate. A lot of us feel tremendous pressure to um, you know, drive less or to make sure we have the right light bulbs or to recycle every little thing, which can become a problem because we take on way too much of the responsibility and we forget or neglect to hold responsible the hundred or so oil and gas companies who contribute the most to climate change and climate disaster, right? We take on the, the burden of that instead of really putting it back on you know, BP or Exxon or these companies who have openly and willfully uh, done their part to cause tremendous harm to the environment. So it's not that we don't need to get the right light bulbs, <laughs> but that can only go so far. Um, we only have so much control. And part of our responsibility is to um, give voice to and advocate for the climate and the earth and to remember that remember where the responsibility lies. And at work, this comes up all the time as well. People who really care about the success of their organization, um, you know, motivated employees or managers or HR people or anyone who just is uh, invested in a place can often take on more responsibility than is truly theirs and take on the responsibility for everyone else's happiness and well-being and forget that the leadership team or those who um, are really making the core decisions in a place are the ones who are more responsible for the culture, for the success of the business. Um, so I encourage you to just look at where you might be taking on more responsibility for the system that you're in than is truly yours or within your control. When we are in right relationship at work, especially in our careers, we know what we are and are not responsible for. And a good exercise, if you happen to have extra time on your hands, is to look at your job description, if you have one. Um, which parts of your job description, that roles and responsibilities section, which parts are truly within your control and which are not? You know, what would you get rid of or throw out because you know that it's not your responsibility anymore? And what would you take on? Um, when we're in right relationship at work, we have more energy. We think more clearly because we aren't taking on the energy of others and enabling these shitty dynamics all the time, right? If we can let go of worrying about everyone else and just focus on the energy or the presence that we are bringing to a situation and our contribution, um, we take care of ourselves and we show other people how to do that. Um, and we also have a chance at meaningful work-life integration and harmony because when we're in right relationship with our work, taking responsibility for what's ours and leaving the rest, we are a that work is able to feed the rest of our lives. You know, it may be that you find it easier to um, slough off what's not yours at work, but you have a really hard time not entering into codependent or um, less than healthy relationships in your love life or in your family life. But by flexing your muscles and practicing growing your integrity at work, you'll become naturally more adept at that in every area of your life because it's you in every area of your life. So if you've taken on responsibility for way too much and you know that this is an area that you can give some attention to this autumn, I would encourage you to start by just noticing the dynamic. Just see it. Um, try to uh, just be mindful of it and raise that awareness. That's the only place that we can start. And when you notice it, do your best to stay out of cycles of shame about it. It doesn't mean that you're bad or that you're not a 
you know, the quote unquote good adult or whatever. It's just that you're playing out dynamics that you learned in childhood and that helped you adapt and do well in childhood. And you get to decide now whether they're dynamics that you want to continue. And part of that is asking yourself why you're choosing to play along. What do you get out of it? And again, Oftentimes, it's that we are fulfilling this role that we took on in our immediate families and as children, um, where we have adopted some coping mechanism that helped us do okay in childhood, and it feels good and familiar, and it's, you know, those neural pathways are all deeply ingrained. So we get a, a neurological response that feels good when we fulfill that familiar role, um, And now we get to decide if we're ready to shift that dynamic, you know, and we can start really small. If you're taking on too much at work, try dropping a ball or two and just see what happens. Um, Try not logging on to email for five minutes when you get in or um, try uh, just leaving the office a little bit early and, and seeing what happens. If you've got a manipulative coworker or a boss, you know, say know and see what happens or gently call out the behavior and see what what you notice how that feels for you um it's really about just starting to live in greater integrity with yourself because it will create greater harmony and well-being and this is not easy work but it will serve you it's like a super vitamin it will give you energy and nourish your entire system no matter what area of your life it's in um, so I encourage you to, to try it, to just see where you can amplify your integrity this season and, and really focus on being in right relationship with others, with yourself, with these major areas of your life. So that's what I have for you, my friends. This episode was longer than usual. Um, There's a lot to say about early autumn and Libra. I will be back on October 22nd with a close look at Scorpio and the transition into the height of autumn and these uh, tremendous cycles of death and rebirth that are awaiting us. Um, So I'll be back in your ears then, but thank you so much for being with me and take really good care. Bye. Bye.